Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday sermons are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, Senior Pastor David Schmaltz. Well, we're in part two of a series that I started last Sunday called The Calvary Road. And, and I will say that we don't always keep last week's notes out there, but we're going we're gonna to try to do that. And if you do miss those, of course, you can find the whole sermon on uh, our webpage, valleychurch.us. Um, and you can request those notes if uh, for some reason you weren't here last week. But we're going to go into part two today. And we're talking about the Calvary Road. And I'm taking much of this, but of course embellished with my own experience and the things that God has done in my heart and things that I believe God has for you in, uh, along with the book, The Calvary Road by Roy Hessian. And I have been told you can find that book, a little, little paperback that, uh, that was introduced to me many, many years ago. From what I understand, it was written in the 50s. And yet its truth is still very, very powerful even to this day. And I think, to be honest with you, God dropped that in my heart and he said, David, this is what the church needs to hear right now. Not only our church, but I think the church as a whole. So I'm going to share it and go on to part two, and I want to talk about, of course, the pathway, and that's where we are. We're talking about the pathway to becoming a a fruitful Christian, to becoming what Jesus intended us to be. How do we get there? That is a challenge for every Christian. So today we're going to talk about submission. That's our next topic, our next word, our next paving stone, if you will. Because along this pathway, last week our first step was brokenness, that God wants a broken vessel. We have to be, we have to fall on Christ to be broken. That's the starting place. We can't bring ourselves to Christ and say, okay, this is who I am, and so you gotta you gotta use me, you gotta put up with me, you gotta make me work and all those things. It's actually a little ludicrous, isn't it? The truth is we need to be redone, <laughs> remade into his likeness. And that's a difficult journey. We certainly can't do it on our own. We can only cooperate. We can only submit. So last week we talked about brokenness. Today we're going to talk about submission. What does submission mean? It's actually a very powerful biblical word. People today, when they hear the word submission, they kind of, you know, they freak out a little bit. Because it doesn't seem to go with our culture in so many different ways, in so many different ways that maybe I'll touch on throughout this message. But So there's three things I want to share with you today as we discuss this next step toward becoming Christ. We're on, this, we're on this pathway, and I hope you're going with me. You're here today, so hope you're with me to take that next step. And of course, we need the grace of God in order to, to do this. But let's talk about submission. We're going to talk about the seat of submission. We're going to talk about the scope and then the effect of submission. What does it do? Let's talk about the seat. The seat of submission starts in the heart. It's where it begins. It's where it must begin. And the definition of submission is a lowering. It's sinking. It's yielding in an act of simple obedience to God. That's what submission is. There is no fight. There is no wrestle. There is no... Uh, you know, defense, (laughs) if you will. It's just simply just bowing to the king of kings. It's surrendering is another word. 
But submission is actually more of, of what God is really after. And the difference between obedience, because you might say, well, is it obedience? No, it's different. It's different than between obedience. You know, it is obedience, but it's, it's more than obedience. And it's certainly more than compliance. And I want to talk about that for a second, because, see, compliance is yielding to a prescribed course more out of duty and less out of heart. Okay? More out of duty is just saying, okay, well, I'm just going to give in because you told me to. And I'm only going to go through the motions just to get you off my back. Okay? So I'm only going to read my Bible because everybody tells me I'm supposed to read my Bible. I'm only going to go to church because everybody tells me I've got to be go to church. And I tell you, as a pastor, that gets really tiring trying to invite people, invite Christians back to church every Sunday. You know, it either becomes something that is out of the heart or it's not. And so God is trying to take us to a place where we are not only broken, but we, we, we quickly submit to him when it just do a whisper, just do a whisper to say, just to call our name. And we're like, yes, what is it that you want? What is it you need? Now, that may seem like an impossibility. Compliance, again, is just, you know, is just doing what is prescribed, required of us, but not given the heart. And we see this in many ways, and I'll get into that. So are we splitting hairs when we're talking about this? No, 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 no. Scripture actually uh, gives us some wonderful you know, character studies when we think of this whole heart attitude. We can look at Saul. Of course, Saul was big, tall, handsome guy. He was the one that any one of us probably would have selected to be the king. He would have been the one that if we saw a, a, a lineup of men, we'd have said, yeah, that's, that's the guy who I want to be my king. He's the guy. And yet in 1 Samuel 15, 22 through 23, we see that Saul, I mean, yeah, Saul in the end was rejected, not because of the things that we would evaluate upon, but something totally different. So let's look at 1 Samuel 15, 22 and 23 and what, what God says through the prophet Samuel, he says, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Because see, the way we determine that is the heart. He goes on, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. So Saul gets fired because Saul is going through the motions. He's basically thinking, I am going to see how much I can get by to just satisfy the basic requirements of being the king, spiritually speaking. But when the time came for Saul's heart to be really challenged in a complete you know, surrender to the heart of God, to understand, to, to understand that he was not all that, that he was not called, and, and what it really came down to, the story, if you remember it, you know, Samuel told uh, Saul, don't do the sacrifice until I get back because we've got to do this the right way. I'm the priest, I'm the prophet, I'm the one who should be here in order to prepare the sacrifice so it's something pleasing unto God, that it's not something that's done with strange fire, that it's done with iniquity, or in other words, with all man's, you know, just getting through the motion, that kind of a thing. And in the end, Saul's heart was uh, exposed because he went ahead and did it, he disobeyed the word of the Lord. And so God calls him out and says, look, you know, you're, you misunderstand what this is all about. I desire to have a relationship with you. 
I desire that in the end you understand that this is based on what we do together out of a complete surrender and compassion and submission to my heart and will. Again, the boy didn't even do one thing as king before that was exposed. And I guess it was an object lesson not only just for, uh, for Saul, but for the people. Of course, God eventually found a person that was a man after his own what? His heart. God chose a man that we may not have chosen. His own dad didn't choose him for crying out loud. But Samuel said, no, he's the one that the Lord has chosen. He's not as tall as everybody. He's a little ruddy complexion. He's not a, as handsome a guy as we would all think would make, the, would make the cut. But the truth is, he had a heart for God. How do we get there? Well, we'll keep talking. John 5, verse 19, Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself, and he can do only what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son does also. Jesus is giving us a snapshot of his relationship with the father. He's giving us a, a, a very clear but yet basic, simple way to understand what submission is. And he said, look, I'm not asking you to do something that I don't do myself. He says, I am submitted to the Father. Whatever the Father does, I do. I'm on his tail. I'm like the dove in the field. Wherever he flies, I fly. And so it makes you wonder, why is that? I mean, is there is this robotic sense of just pure obedience to just doing what ought to be done just because it ought to be done. No. What's that noise? Is it a siren outside or something? It's on. Okay, good. <laughs> We're all waiting. Go. Go. Really annoying. Okay, good. We're, we're past that. Amen. So, it's in the heart, right? It's in the heart. And Jesus was saying that. Look, it comes out of a complete desire. Uh, Devin gave us that, that presentation during the offering because Jesus was, was perfect at that. He he did not consider something equality with God something to be grasped. He was of high position. He was God, but he did not use that to his advantage to crush men. He came completely submitted to the Father, all of which was to be an example to us, to show us that we've been given so much in Christ, but we're never to use that for our advantage. We never take that for granted, and we never use it to control or manipulate. No, 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 we do... What he did was do what the Father's doing. In essence, he's saying, now, you need to go and do what I've done. You need to follow me. And he was a servant. So it wasn't duty. This was obedience in its most perfect representation. Obedience to the Father. And as Jesus grew from a young boy to an adult, obviously he's now reading in Isaiah and he's reading in Jeremiah. He begins to see what his path is going to look like. So he wasn't just submitted to the father out of fatherly duty. Like, well, he's my dad. You know, i got to do what my dad tells me to do. No, 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 no. He was submitted to the whole plan. The whole plan. Which meant the suffering servant that he read about in Isaiah. The one who was crying out. He knew what was coming. And yet he surrendered and he submitted to that. Because he said, Father, you know, I, where you want me to go is you obviously have greater wisdom than me. 
you know, you know that there's a greater fruit that is going to come through my suffering. And so we follow in the same footsteps. Jesus said that. That was our key verse for this whole sermon series, by the way, is that Jesus said, you know, if you want to follow me, you've got to pick up your cross. You've got to deny yourself and follow me. And where did he go? Right to the cross. Right to the place of surrender, full submission to the Father. And death. Death. Not a wonderful thing to talk about. But what we need to see was that the joy that was set before him was what he was seeing. He was seeing beyond the cross and the suffering. He said, Father, you know it's your will, not my will. There's something good, there's something powerful, something awesome that you're going to do through the sacrifice, through the pain, through the denial of my flesh, through my desires, through my, my own will, my willfulness, that if I lay that down, that some way, somehow, something even better is going to come out of it. That's what Jesus was thinking. And of course, we know it was exactly that, that the earth is now filled with believers. Heaven is going to be filled up with souls restored to the Father because of that, that act. Now, switch back to us, folks. It's, it, it, it works the exact same way. Submission to God is the only way to truly move forward in our journey toward true, servant, true, true servanthood, to becoming useful to God. You know, they use this illustration, and, and, and I don't like to use it much because I don't want like us to feel like we're just like a horse, but it's like how you break a horse. You know, a horse, when it, is, it, it begins to grow, it's, it, it's, since it's its freedom, it senses its individuality, and it wants to run, and, and yet when you, but you break the, the horse, you break its will. But in so doing, it also becomes more useful than it would ever be on its own. To just run and do what a horse does, I mean, it's just, it has no real sense of purpose other than just running and eating and procreating, I suppose. But when God gets a hold of us and he puts that bridle on, it's a little painful at first. It's a little restricting at first. But then he comes and he gets on top he pulls on that bit a little bit. He begins to, you know, and when you train a horse really well, I've never been a, a horse, uh, one who rode a horse, but Andrea did for a lot of years. And what I saw, in, you know, is that it's just the gentle, the rein just lays across the neck. It's just the leaning of the body, that how that horse gets to know. I mean, there's no beating of that horse at all if, if you've trained it well. But it just goes at the simple, slightest whim of the one who is the leader. That's what God wants in us. A submission to the point where all he has to do is lean. All we have to do is just feel the, the slight push of his leg to say, this is where we need to go. This is what you need to do. This is what he's looking for. This is what he's shooting for in us. Only God can purify our heart because when we think of our heart, no one knows the heart except God. And this is the one thing that I've learned after walking with God as many years as I have, is that I, don't, I still don't know my heart. I don't trust my heart. If you think you're trusting your heart, then let me tell you, you're in the right place today. To hear that you can't trust yourself. You can't. I'm sorry. Paul said that. He said, if, he says, you know, uh, if you think you stand, take heed lest you fall. 
And this is coming from Paul, who he even himself, a man who understands the Bible more than any of us ever will in this lifetime, said, look, don't trust your own heart. Wickedness is in your heart. It's there. And the only way you fully get at all of it is a complete surrender to God. And it will come to the surface, as, it, as we know. But only God can purify it. Because, see, you can't purify what you don't see. Right? You know, it's like cleaning out things that, you know, maybe camping equipment or something like that. Or, or, and you start to clean it, and you only clean that which you see but to take under deeper inspection or to put something in the light where the full light of day is able to, whoa, there's a little bit of nastiness down there that I didn't get to. And that's exactly the way our heart is. It's only under the, ex- the full exposure of the light of God and our, re- and our definite submission, our full submission to him that he gets at those deepest layers of, of our own deception. And, and I told you last week, man, we're professional. We're de- really professional at deceiving ourselves. We're good at it. Children, let us know what their motives are very quick. With the shifting of their eyes, they're saying, I don't want a cookie, but they're looking at the cookie jar the whole time. They don't know how to hide that. Become, but when we become adults, we're really, really good at it to the point where detectives, I mean, we have to have whole degrees and masters and doctorates in how, in how to expose the heart of man to get them to admit to the fact that they've done a crime. And yet, we're so good at it that they have to sit there and examine and cross-examine and examine and cross-examine finally to get us to admit, yeah, I did it. But what God is after in us is that all he has to do is the Holy Spirit just has to say, it's just like, you know, someone that you deeply, deeply love that just looks at you and says, I know what you're doing. I know that wasn't true. That's not your heart. And that sense on the inside, and when we're broken, and when we're submitted, that's all it takes. That's all it takes. So only God can purify that heart, though, to remove the selfishness, to remove the greed, to remove the jealousy. You don't think you're jealous? Oh, you're more, a whole lot more jealous than you think. I'm jealous. I know I am. I see a car drive by, and I look at my big old, you know, people moving van. You don't think I want to be driving, you know? See, I'm getting all stirred up right now thinking about it. Jealousy, it's in there. It is in there. And, you know, the enemy uses jealousy to his advantage and has been quite a bit in our culture of late. When you start digging into what causes people to fight and break down, ah, there's a language. And, once you, and you can recognize and see the language of the devil. Why? Because you've been speaking it yourself. And the Holy Spirit comes to you and says, you've been speaking the wrong language. That's not the language of love. That's the language of selfishness. That's manipulation. That's, you know that well. And only God, by his power, can get that out of us. The pride through the outpouring of his grace. God is so loving. God is so good. He's patient with us. He's ready. He knows he's got to deal with it, and we know he's got to deal with us. And thank God that he's the one that does this. Because aren't you glad that nobody else is in charge of that for you? Because he may not be as gentle 
And sometimes people think that they, that's their job, by the way, aren't they? They're the fruit inspector. They feel like they've been designated uh, sanctifier in charge for you. Coming up, hey, look, I've just got 10 things that, you know, you could be a perfect person if you just stop doing these 10 things. No, that's, the, that's, that's your Savior's job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. 1 Peter 5, 5 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Look at what is required here. That's why the Calvary Road is a tough road, but on the, on, the, on the other hand, we're not really called to bring much on the road. He's not telling you to pick up much to carry with you. You don't have to have any money. You don't have to have any experience. You don't have to have any education. You don't have to have any, any uh, special pedigree. You don't have to have any of that. What does he say? Humility. He gives grace. By the way, Grace may just be a word to you, but let me tell you what grace is. Grace is everything. Grace is God working in you, causing you to will and to do of his good pleasure. Grace is the power of God that comes and transforms you into his likeness. Grace is God coming in and bringing miracles that take place. And so we talked about that. We sang about that this morning, about the miracle. And I was thinking to myself, you know what is more of a miracle in my life? Not that he takes away a cold from me or heals up a wound real quickly or provides a, a financial you know, breakthrough. I'll tell you what, you know what the greatest miracle in my life is? It's got change in my heart. Taking away anger when I want to lash out. Removing the poison of jealousy when I know it's eating my lunch. That's a miracle. Don't see that any, anything less as a miracle, my friends, because it is a tremendous miracle. Because God opposes the proud, and when God is against you, don't want to be that way. That's like starting a game and you lost already. You know, football team run out on, this, run out on the field and it's 100 to zero before you even got the first kickoff. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He, does he give grace to the perfect? No. Does he give grace to the to the the affluent? No. Does he give grace to those who, who, who know a lot of the Bible, who have great knowledge of things? No. God gives grace, which is everything, to the humble. And, and see, what we're talking about, to get to that point, to take this next step of submission, it takes forgiveness and change. And boy, it can't come fast enough. But he's provided the forgiveness, hasn't he? Holy Spirit's there to point out and I wrote in my notes, it's not in your notes, but I mean, if you want to write it there in the little margin, you can, but I wrote this down this morning as I was going back over this. We go from being deceived to less deceived. None of us see as we should. If you're sitting in your seat today and you think you got it all together or that you've got enough of the Bible or that you've learned enough lessons to be just saying, man, pastor's just preaching to the choir today, honey. I mean, I, I got this. No. No, 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 no. We go from being deceived to less deceived. We will never be completely illumined, transformed, sanctified in this life. No way. And sometimes it gets worse towards the end. What's up with that? Except that we got this, this brain that wears out. 
You've got this body, this tent that seems to wear out. And I was talking with a doctor recently, and he was just telling me, he said, David, that doesn't have to be the case. He said, so much of what happens in people as they age is more spiritual than it is physical. That blew me away, to be honest with you. I'll leave that one alone. But where is the seat? Where does this begin? Inside the heart. Okay? So if he has not penetrated there, if he's not gotten in there, then don't be surprised if there's not been a lot of change in your life. And I I don't mean to rub that in your nose. I mean, I'm just trying to encourage you. I'm trying to coach you to say, look, if you want more change, if you want more transformation in your relationships, you've got to let God in there, all the way in there. Got to do it. Number two, the scope of submission, of course, is to go after relationships. And ultimately, and I'm going to look at 1 Peter where you can find all of this. This is a study in, in 1 Peter for the most part. Peter understood submission. How did Peter understand submission? Because he bucked it every step of the way, didn't he? Peter was a hard-headed rascal. Isn't it encouraging to know that God used him the most? John was the lover of Jesus, and John just hung out. Man does love people, but it was Peter upon which the church was built and was led. But it came through a guy who, for the most part, man, he fought it to the bitter, bloody end, even to the point where Paul had to come back and rebuke him to say, Peter, man, you're being, you're a bigot. You got to stop that. So, who do we submit to? Because we've got to go to, I mean, you know, we, so we begin with God, right? Of course. And that's what I've been talking about, right, you know, so far. And that's a key to all others. If it doesn't, if there's not a full submission to God, then we're not going to understand submission in other human relationships. We just won't. It'll all be just for show. It'll only be, because see, sometimes that's what manipulate, what, that's what true manipulation is, by the way. It is showing you deference for the purpose to get you to do what I want you to do in the end. Isn't that right? True servanthood is to say, here, let me do something for you. I don't expect anything in return. I mean, does God require anything of you from here on out that he died, sent his son on the cross? No, no. It's done. What Jesus did was pure submission, surrender, and sacrifice, and a true gift to you and I. No strings attached. So we're supposed to submit to God. You find that in 1 Peter 1.14, and that's a key to all others. Who else? We've we got to submit to one another. And that's a key to true humility. That is where humility is tested out. You see it again in Ephesians 5.21. That's where true agape love must be exercised. It's where it must come out is in our relationships in submission to one another. Mm-hmm which is why the church is so important. I see, you know, I, I, so many people evaluate the church in so many of the wrong ways, and it just blows me away as a pastor, and after a while, you're just like, you know, I, I'm sorry. I just, you don't get it, you don't get it. But I hope you get it, and what I'm going to share with you now, that as we gather, as we fellowship, as we do life together, we really are knocking off the edges of each other's life. We get into each other's stuff. We give, we're giving each other opportunity to submit and to surrender to one another out of pure deference and love for Christ. Have you ever given someone to something or you feel like God has told you to do something to someone that you don't respect? That's the hardest. 
Why would God ask us to do that? Well, didn't he do that himself? As he hung on the cross looking at the people who drove the nails into his hands, beat him bloody, tore his clothes off his body and exposed himself to his family. And he looked down and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He forgave them. What a gift. I mean, you know, a stranger says, hey, I forgive you. That's one thing. But when God looks down at you and says, be forgiven, that's eternal. That stayed the hand of the Father who's going up there. Look, this all has to happen. And I'm turning my face away from my son, but you are going to get it. But the, father, but the son said, no, 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 Father, don't do it. You and I both know this has to be completed. Key to one another is it true, humility grows out of submission, the daily submission to one another, which I got to tell you, a lot of the isms that are coming out, and I just want to squash these like a bug, because the Bible smashes the isms, and I don't care what it is, whether it be feminism, whether it be socialism or communism, capitalism, I don't care what the ism might be. When we submit and surrender to one another, then all of our selfishness is exposed and we understand that I'm not going to get what I want until I really, really truly am broken and surrendered. See, what what the Bible teaches us is if we submit ourselves to other beings, other human beings, that he will take care of what our needs are. And that's why he says, do it as unto him. Okay? Let's keep going. Servants to masters. Of course, that's the language that is used <clears throat> but I like to say it's like, you know, as employees to employers today in our modern context. Because we go in and we're somewhat servants to the masters, aren't we? We've got to do what they tell us to do if we want our paycheck. And Peter addresses that. He says we should be submitted. Not just to go in and say, hey, look, um, just want to let you know I'm here. I know you're really glad about that right now. No, no, no. Submission service. We should not go to work thinking we can only, we're only going to do what is required of us. But we should go with a desire to do it as unto the Lord. And if we're doing it as unto the Lord, what should we really be doing? Our very best. Because we're not doing it for human people, I mean humans. We're doing it for him. And would I give him the, the least? Or oh, a half-arsed job, as they say? Wives to husbands, oh man, the hair on the back of somebody's neck just went up. I'm um, just teaching Bible here, just teaching Bible. <clears throat> you know why in Ephesians chapter 5, I was sharing this with somebody recently, it's interesting that marriage between a man and a woman is more than just a cultural thing, phenomenon, a Judeo-Christian thing that is now just worn out and passed on. No, 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 no. And I haven't gotten into this debate, but I'll just share it right now. Paul says it's a picture of heaven. That man and woman, as they marry in the union that takes place, there is a picture. Matter of fact, as he was talking about in Ephesians chapter 5, he begins to wander off and talk about the unity and the submission of the church to Jesus. We're the bride, he's the groom, we submit and surrender to him. And he goes, oh, oh, you know, I was talking about Jesus. But he was talking about marriage too. And, and, and so what we get from that is that, man, marriage 
is a picture of heaven. And it's a picture of our relationship with our Savior. We're the bride. Submitted, surrendered. So, often God, when God uses, and this is, this is for free, as my pastor used to say, when it comes to hermeneutics, whenever an analogy is used in a spiritual context, often its natural context is true as well, or he wouldn't use it. So when he talks about marriage being a picture of heaven, then yes, marriage in its practical sense, he's called the wife the bride to submit to the head. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, I mean, look, I know our culture, and I, I know Christians that are just d- trying to dismantle this, tear it apart. They throw Deborah at me, and they do all this kind of stuff. And I'm just telling you, okay, I mean, that's fine. You don't want to read the Bible. You want to worm your way out of that. That's fine. That's good for you. But I'm telling you, if you embrace it, you will experience the grace of God, the power of God in the middle of that. Why are so many marriages just disaster? This is one of the reasons. Sorry, but that's true. The model of heaven <clears throat> to all authorities. It's key to, a, to community when we submit to authorities that God puts in our life. This is Romans chapter 13. Again, once and then Peter talks about there in 2.13. The church had to understand. Now, I, somebody wrote in, in a Facebook page, and I caught it, and I told Andrew immediately, I said, that's wrong, it's not Bible. Because they were using it for the voting thing, and whew, Lord knows I'm not going to touch that. But all that's going on right now, but they used, they said, well, you know, the church was in civil disobedience at the time. I said, wrong. Mm-mm. Church never broke any laws civilly. They did not. Now, did they break some religious laws? Oh, yeah. I mean, they went to the temple and were praying, speaking in tongues, seeing people healed, jumping up and down and running around the building. That was ticking off a lot of spiritual leaders. So were they breaking their laws? Oh, yeah, every day. Matter of fact, they brought them in and said, do not preach in the name of Jesus anymore. We're going to beat you more. Yeah, they broke those laws. But when that came before Rome, they said, pfft, They're not breaking any of our laws. Anyway, we're called to not, and I'm not saying there isn't a time for civil disobedience, and that's a whole other teaching. But in this case, we're to honor the authorities that God places in our life. And there is a reason for that. We're supposed to pray for those who are over us. We're supposed to Speak to the issues, which I believe as a Christian you should be actively looking at. And then finally, children to parents. I'm only mentioning what we see clearly taught in the Bible. Key to blessing. I, it breaks my heart when I see people teaching their children to do whatever they want. It's not biblical. The Bible teaches parents to raise up their children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, to raise them up, to teach them how to fear God, to teach them to obey God. Raise them up, and when they're old, they will not depart from it. But not to just say, hey, look, you know, whatever. Hope you figure it out. I'm here. I might just give you a couple of pieces of advice from time to time, but I want you to get to God on your own. That's not biblical. Please. It's not biblical. We are to raise up our children. We are to teach them 
We are to help them. We are to understand. Look, if I can't trust myself, do you think a 12-year-old can trust themselves? For crying out loud. We need to help them. Not with forced submission, not with control, not with beatings. No, no, no. But with loving direction, using the word of God to help them see, help them discern. That has been, you know, we don't do it perfectly as parents, but it is our conviction. That is where honoring authority is learned, by the way. Why do so many young adults not respect authority? Because they've never seen it at home. It starts at home. Finally, the effect of submission. How does it change the world? Big time, the devil is kicked out. He is the most, the devil is the father of rebellion. He is the least submitted. When it came time for, the, for Satan, who and Lucifer at the time, the angel of, of, of light, to do what he was called to do, he did not submit to the Father. He chose to bring glory to himself. He rose up in pride. God cast him to the earth, is what we're taught, what we read. He's kicked out every time a Christian submits and surrenders to God and does not and refuses to walk in rebellion. Satan has no place to light. It's like a virus like your immune system. When we walk in rebellion, our spiritual immune system is way down. It's low. And so the work of the enemy can settle in there, begin to, begin, begin to bring in spiritual disease, confusion, lies, the false teachings of the world. Christians, I see it. I, happen, I see it in young people's hearts and minds. As they're beginning to pull away and they have these fine-sounding arguments, they repeat the mantras of people that, in my mind, are not even walking with God at all. And that's how it happens. But change happens when we submit. The devil wants rebellion, chaos, anarchy in your home, in your soul, in our communities, and in the world. And it's fueled by revenge, jealousy, pride, violence, dishonesty. And this whole ends justifies the means, crud. How do we know we have these things operating inside us? Only the Holy Spirit can show us. But I guarantee you that all of us have some. There's not a one of us that doesn't have some measure of this in us. And only the Holy Spirit can get it all. Uh, you may be saying, oh, that's not true, Pastor David. I think I'm good to go. The worst, the worst deception in the whole wide world is self-deception. We are emptied and made a vessel. These, this is the effect. We are emptied and made a vessel which holds more of him. We reflect more of Christ. See, the more of you, the less of him. The more of him, the less of me. That is in control. That is affecting and that may seem kind of scary. It's just like, man, it's almost like I'm being possessed. No, you're not being possessed. That's the devil, by the way. He comes into control. That's what possession is. Very uncomfortable topic, but it exists, and it's real. Matter of fact, I was just reading the other day that uh, exorcisms and, uh, that are on, are on the rise and apparently Satan, after school, Satan clubs are, are on the rise in schools. It's coming. It's coming. Because where there's revenge, where there's jealousy, when there's pride and violence, 
Satan is right in behind it. Where there's dishonesty that is glorified, by the way, and ignored. Satan will come like a moth to the flame. Personal revelation. Another effect is our personal revelation of our relationship with Jesus from which all purpose flows. I'll tell you what, I am so convinced of this. We do not know who we are. We do not know our created purpose. We will not have very much real, true, lasting fruitfulness in our life without a personal, individual, daily relationship with Jesus Christ. Sorry. If you're not talking to him every day, then you are just floating that you're just going through the motions and you're missing stuff. But Jesus wants to connect with you. And again, I'm not saying this to force you. I'm not saying that this is some kind of an obligation. No, 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 man. This is very much like, look, he's waiting for you. He loves you. He wants to connect with you. And it doesn't take vast amounts of time. You don't need to go find a mountain and, and dig a hole out of the side and just sit there and say, ohm, for three years. You don't need to do that. You need to drive in your car and just say, Jesus, here I am. I need you to come and open my heart right now. Do it. What are some of the other things? Blessing. Blessing. That's the beauty. When we surrender and submit to Jesus and to our God and take that next step going from brokenness to submission, at first it's like we look at all the things we're going to lose. What we should be looking at is all the things we're going to gain. The joy that you say, wow, it's going to be, I could have had a V8. That's what it's going to be. Does your life reflect that blessing? Does it? Do you want some? Oh, man, you can have a lot. See, the church moves forward with its mission. An army of prepared people for revolution. Not because we're angry not because we're jealous, not because we want to see social change because of all the, the cultural uh, 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 stuff that we see going on around us, the, the um, oh, what am I, the word I'm looking for, the uh, unrighteousness that we think going on and fueling. No, no, no. What changes the world is a broken person, a submitted person to Christ because then he flows through us and he brings the miracle. The world is given a testimony they can't ignore because there's no greater love than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. See, submission is the cross on the easy plan. Aren't you glad that he's not calling you to have to die on a cross? He did that for you. But what he is asking us to do is to deny ourselves. (laughs) He is asking us to crucify the flesh. Not our bodies, but our selfishness, our jealousy, our pride, all of that. So let's stand up this morning, and let's do it together. Let's do it together. Look, I want to remind you, it's the joy that is set before us. We're going to scorn the cross of self-denial. We're going to scorn the jealousy. We're going to scorn all of that because on the other side is peace, is joy, is fruitfulness, restored relationships, a happy soul. Let's come together. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Lord, we come to you this morning. God, I'm so grateful that you're a loving God, 
that you're not asking us to do something that you did not, not do to the extreme, to the extreme. You lived it daily. You taught your disciples. You prayed for us. Then you walked down that Calvary road yourself, and you died for us. And you say, now follow me. Follow me. Because on the other side of this pathway of self-denial, brokenness, and surrender, and submission, comes a greater life. Things that work. No chaos. No confusion. But peace, joy, fruitfulness, fruit of the Spirit, great relationships, and things that we will store up forever. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you have a plan. And all you need from us right now is just a desire to humble ourselves. So would you join me right now, church? Let's come to him. Lord Jesus, we surrender to you. We submit to you. Go ahead and throw the saddle upon us. Bit and bridle. Hmm. We shy away. We want to run. But Lord, if we let you do that, we will become greater than we could ever be by ourselves. We surrender. We submit. Lord, forgive us of our selfishness. Lord, our demands that we place upon others, our pushiness, our professional manipulation, our control. Lord, we yield all of that to you right now. We ask you to forgive us, to wash us in the blood of Jesus and restore to us, God, a willing heart, a contrite heart. And you will not despise that. You'll pour out more grace. And I thank you for doing it today, God. I thank you for doing it in us. In Jesus' name. You know, we had a dear brother pass away just a day or two ago. Dwight, Terry, you know, I don't know if you remember Dwight, but he, he prayed often among us, and he, he went very quickly, and he's with, in heaven now. And none of us are guaranteed a long life. We don't know when that day will come. So if, you, if I could have our prayer teams come right now, and if you would like prayer over this message, or if you'd like to give your life to Christ today, we'd love to pray with you. So God bless you. You have a great day. If this is your first time, please... Go see Pastor Jamie in the Connection Center. The rest of you, if you'd like prayer this morning, please come. And you have a great week. We love you. Bye-bye.